Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is episode 71 on the video cast, 61 on the podcast for the week ending February 26, 2021. And as always, we're going to start off with our media spots and then get right down to the brass tacks. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Jackie D'Ambrosi Scales for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Fox Business on Tuesday. And uh, the key theme was, you know, rates were rising. Uh, and the market was starting to show volatility. So, you know, what was happening? And I, and I said to Liz, you know, uh, it's all about rates. 10-year Treasury yields up 50% in seven weeks. It was up uh, 170% in seven months. Just think about that from 50 basis points to, at that time, it was uh, uh, 136 basis points. On Tuesday, it got up to 146. I think we closed out about, uh, backed off of that today, finally, which which we anticipated in our article on Thursday, which we'll talk a lot about rates uh, in this podcast video cast. But the point that I was making, because a lot of the tech companies were selling off, which we'd been pointing to uh, actually since back in August, Fang has basically gone sideways for the most part uh, and stalled. And the value cyclical trade has picked up, but it's it's been pronounced certainly this year. You have uh, energy up 32% year to date uh, in just two months uh, relative to tech, which was up about 3%. That was as of yesterday. And the point that I made was that when capital is free, you get a circus of companies that have big promises and little Profits, so they're big on their promises and they're little on their profits, and we've seen that all the IPOs coming out at 30, 40, 100 times sales with no profits, uh, all the SPACs with you know some with no revenue, the different pockets of froth that you're seeing, and with rates rising and and the key is the rate of change, um, managers are now coming to grips with the fact that capital has a cost, and when capital has a cost, investors demand profits, they demand cash flow. And the circus must pack up its tent and move on. Um, and that's really what the market is grappling with right now. Now, that that's the intermediate term. We're going to talk about some things that could lead to a, a different bounces in the short term, which which I'm pretty excited about and uh, and we'll, we'll talk about. But uh, what we saw, uh, certainly as of the uh, Tuesday when I was on the show, was money fleeing out of uh, high multiple tech and continuing the multi-month trend of into cyclicals value. Uh, so, so that's that. And you've seen it in with uh, Wells Fargo and ExxonMobil were two of our favorites, both up uh, as of Tuesday, 85% since uh, November. So about uh, four months, give or take. And um, they got up to 90% by Thursday, and they backed off a little bit today. I think they should take a breather here. That's quite a, quite a move. And we're, talk, we're going to talk about where we're looking to where the puck's going and where we've been putting money to work this week. 
Um, the other thing is Chair Powell uh, said that he believes that any inflation that comes will be transitory. He believes that it's soft. So he's going to keep the pedal to the metal at $120 billion a month of bond purchases, low short rates until full employment. And he's kind of in a box. I mean, you know, you you, you can't let up on stim. You can't let up on on uh, easing at this point. And the only way you can justify easing is if you do believe uh, or say that inflation will be temporary. Because his view is that it's much easier to correct inflation because we we know how that works with Volk. Volcker did it in the early 80s than it is to correct deflation, which Japan fought with for three decades and, and we've had whiffs of in, in the last two. So, um, so I totally understand what he's doing. And the other thing that he's doing is he has spoken repeatedly about his fear that a whole group of workers gets left behind like what happened in the great financial crisis uh, many people in their 40s and 50s that lost their job never were able to re-enter the workforce and that led to the opioid epidemic and and really just a terrible situation so he'd rather run inflation at three percent plus than have a whole generation of people uh exit the worst workforce and never re-enter so i, I commend him on that front um the other point that I made with Liz is that uh, while money was coming out of tech, uh, that, you know, in the intermediate term, the cyclicals are the best bet. We continue to like energy, we continue to like banks, and we definitely continue to like uh, defense and aerospace, which have been our themes for the last handful of months plus, and, they, and they've worked. Um, we... We now see the puck moving in the short term to uh, oversold sectors. Uh, think soup and cereal, Campbell's Soup and Kellogg Cereal, uh, Big Pharma. We like uh, Pfizer and Kellogg and utilities. So we started to see some life, uh, you know, on bounces yesterday and today. But we've been adding. Um, uh, to defense and aerospace, and we've been buying aggressively staples, utilities, and some pharma stocks um, this week. And we're going to talk a bit about that in the article, why we think that's going to happen. Uh, but uh, that was the, the nature of the segment. And I want to thank again Liz and Jackie for having me on to discuss that. Now, moving right along, I want to thank Devik Jane, who put me in his article uh, a few days ago, and that was the day that uh, after Tesla had um, really corrected quite a bit, I think it was peak to trough close to 20% or a little bit more, then Kathy Wood of the ARK ETF stepped in and bought $120 million of Tesla, so you had that faux rally in the morning, and then um, and then it rolled over again. So I want to thank Devik Jane for including me in his article there. The point, one of the point, two of the points that I made to Devik um, that that there wasn't room for in the article was one that to keep an eye as earnings estimates we've emphasized uh, since effectively November have been going up every single week. Uh, into the earnings season and then through the earnings season they've continued if you recall the estimates were down negative uh, 9.7 as of um, December 31st and they wound up finishing up plus three percent or so so much better than expected however 
the last week the trend changed as opposed to estimates going up every week they basically flatlined and they barely ticked up this week but they did tick up so that that's actually good news which we'll discuss now let's move right along here <clears throat> i posted the uh weekly article uh was also posted on seeking alpha the editors put it up this week and one of the comments someone left was um that you know i had talked about three to four percent pullbacks and if you've been following the podcast video cast i've mentioned that in recent weeks that i i'd be more inclined to see more shallow um pullbacks on a repeated basis like four or five mini pullbacks throughout the year similar to the post uh, 2016 election 2017 environment which is very similar uh, anticipating the tax cuts, which came in January 2018, and that was a sell the news event. And I think that we're in, in a similar situation, anticipating stimulus and full vaccinations and return to normal, and then it'll be a sell the news type of thing uh, when we actually get it, uh, herd immunity plus. So, um, so we got so so the the gentleman or gentle lady who made that comment. Uh, said, do you still see that? And, you know, they, they left that comment last night. I guess they were scared by the selling yesterday, and then they're probably even more scared by the selling today. Um, and so if you look at this chart, the S&P is actually corrected 3.45% off of its highs. So it's right before between that 3 and 4% that we were looking for multiples on that versus what would be a more normalized correction, which would be 10%. And it'll be interesting to see if this holds. Um, I think it's going to be dependent on a subject that no one's talking about. I've not heard it anywhere, and you're going to hear it on this, and I think it's going to be pretty surprising for a lot of people. Uh, my sense is that this will probably hold up, and we'll probably start to see, which is what I talked about with Liz, is that, and I talked about on the podcast last week, is that the rate of change in rates is going to materially slow down, if not in the short term, reverse. Meaning, and my parting message yesterday uh, in the article, which we published at 6 in the morning, which was written Wednesday night after the close, uh, was that we expect a bounce in bonds in coming weeks. And that would be a catalyst for potentially a bounce in, in uh, tech, but more likely... Uh, a bounce into those high yielding safety groups where managers go to hide when the market is choppy, number one, and when they want to get yield. If rates stop going up, people are going to start looking for yield again. And where are they going to find it? Uh, certainly there's REITs, but my emphasis is on um, staples, utilities, and parts of big pharma and healthcare. So um, the other conclusion I had at the end of my article this week, if you've read it, was that I'm not paying as much attention to the general indices right now. I'm paying attention to where will be the rallies under the surface. And if you look at year-to-date performance uh, by sector, now this is, at, this is from Bespoke Investment Group. You can follow them on Twitter. Um, and that's uh, Paul Hickey. And this was as of last night's close. Now, the S&P 500 was up 2.26% uh, 
as of last night, it lost a half a percent. So it's up 175 basis points for the year. The Dow was up 2.92. It lost a point and a half today. So, you know, basically it's up 150 50 basis points for the year. And the NASDAQ was down 29 basis points for the year, believe it or not. And it gained a half a percent today. So it's up 25 basis points. So it's still a laggard. But if you look at kind of what we're doing to talk about today is where where is the opportunity is consumer staples is um, uh, the uh, utilities consumer staples are the two worst performers for the year and some of the names are dramatically oversold and that's a function of it going back to the beginning of this podcast Treasury yields rose 50% in seven weeks. 10-year Treasury yield rose 50% in seven weeks. So naturally, those got sold off because they're yield proxies, because they're high dividend yielders. As we get the bounce in Treasuries, which I'm anticipating, which I put in the, the Thursday morning article, which, by the way, we're going to see, um, just started today. I mean, it's like... I, better to be lucky than to be good. But look at this dramatic move. Literally, I posted the article at 6 in the morning and we got this reversal. Bonds bounce today. We'll see if it holds. Uh, certainly better to be lucky than to be good. Sometimes you get a combination of both. But nonetheless, um, that trend that caused such a dramatic sell-off in staples, you know, REITs to a lesser extent, utilities, and big pharma high yielders, uh, with defensive yielders, as people move into a defensive space, i.e. they're moving into to bonds, uh, those will come back into favor for the same reasons they went out of favor. And that could be an exciting opportunity. And we're going we're gonna to unpeel that in this thing. The other uh, dramatic underperformer as of yesterday is Brazil. I'd definitely be looking at uh, discrete opportunities in Brazil. Mexico, maybe to a lesser extent. I, I did look at a lot of the Mexico ADRs. You know, there are a couple that were kind of interesting, but nothing to really write home about. And guess what? Treasuries down 12%, which is one of the biggest drawdowns in history, which we're going to delve into as well, and what that usually portended moving forward. So if you look at what's absolutely collapsed in the first two months, you know, Brazil, treasuries, utilities, staples, and parts of healthcare, and um, you know my saying: <laughs> Wall Street is the only place in the world when they hold a clearance sale, no one shows up. Well, we were showing up in spades the last few days and buying the hell out of these things. So uh, we'll see how how this thesis plays. But my guess is um, we'll probably get some more pain on Monday just because I feel so good about the trade <laughs> and then it'll work in a, in a couple of weeks and it'll be a great trade over the next you know four to six months but um, so that's where we are the other thing that happened is risk parity which there's you know tremendous amount of money in risk parity which is basically uh, long duration assets to offset equity risk they, but the problem now is the quants got hammered because stocks and bonds are moving together. So as bonds went down, stocks went down. And then these guys, as volatility ticks up, they have to delever. It happens every few years. It happened in August of 2017 when these guys almost blew up. I think it happened last year and um, it happened this week. So... Um, you know, it's supposed to be a risk-free strategy, and it's shown nothing but risk. And um, uh, 
subdued returns of late, and that could certainly change uh, moving forward. But but that was also part of the kind of abrupt deleveraging as their models hit. They've got to dump out of this stuff. But again, I'm just going to tease it here. I'm going to talk about a thesis that no one is discussing, and it's it's going to be pretty mind-boggling here in just a minute. But I want to finish up on bonds. Um, so this is from Macro Charts, and this was posted uh, today, this morning. So he said TLT, which is uh, basically the ETF for long bonds, uh, long-term treasuries, uh, had its second largest volume spike of all time. That's right here. It had record volume for a down day. The prior was March 18th, 2020, which was the bottom uh, for, for that. Its drawdown was near the worst. This is long bonds, so TLT. Uh, was near the worst in history, worse than the 2013 taper tantrum. And the price is at key key support. He's defining key support as you break out and then you retest the breakout. Okay. And what his point is, any stabilization could trigger a sharp rally in growth stocks. Now, I definitely agree with what he's saying that if bonds bounce, those assets that do well in a lower rate environment should bounce as well, which would be FANG, which would be tech, uh, but also will be consumer staples, uh, utilities, and um, big pharma and parts of healthcare. When I say parts of healthcare, I'm talking about the big health insurers like the Humanas of the world, uh, like the Centines of the world, uh, a number of those type of companies. And I'm talking big pharma like the Pfizer's. Uh, we also picked up Novartis and a couple other opportunities that are out there. So, um, so I, I agree with all of what he said. I like how he put it in a neat package. Um, we were just seeing an extreme. We got we got to the same conclusion a different way, but it's always nice to see other data points that are aligned with how you're thinking about things. So um, if this bounce persists, then our theme for a short-term opportunity in staples, pharma, and utilities is going to be phenomenal. Um, but it doesn't change the intermediate term new business cycle trend, which we love, uh, which is banks, energy, and defense and aerospace stocks. Defense and aerospace, uh, we were able to add some this week too. That's the cheapest of the three. Banks and energy, I mean, they've had 90 and 100% moves. They have to take a breather. And because everyone's been clamoring for them after they're up 32% in a month, my sense is what has to happen now is probably a 5 or 10% pullback just to wipe out the weak hands, the new money that came in late. They've got to take them to the woodshed. And um, uh, so so uh, that that would be my, my bet there. So there'll, there'll be better entry points on that. There are discrete opportunities where you can put some starter positions to work there. But I, I think the pound the table uh, opportunity is going to be in these spaces. So if you're a Fang lover, maybe that will participate with that with this. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to tell you why I like these three groups better than Fang on a uh, treasury short-term treasury reversal because I I still think 
I, I, the intermediate term uh, trend of yields is going to be up, even though we're going to probably get a nice intermediate term bounce in 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 the long bond um, and, and with these few sectors. But, um, the, you know, the, the trajectory intermediate term is up, which will be supportive of banks, which will be supportive of energy. So, you know, if you've been with me for six months and you are buying energy and banks at the lows, just ride it out, you know? I mean, you've got so much unrealized profits, or you could take some profits and buy back later if you wanna get cute, but why pay the taxes? I mean, you know, unless you're managing institutional money and they don't pay taxes, but uh, this is a longer term multi-year trend, which is consistent with a new business cycle, and rates rising is not a bad thing. It's a sign of growth. It happens in every new business cycle, as do value and cyclicals outperform in the first 18 months. So I'm trying to thread two needles here. What's the short-term trade, and what's the intermediate-term trade, and then um, uh, and, and tie it all together by the end, end of this. Now, uh, with all the negativity that's coming in the last couple of days and the VIX spike, et cetera, and people getting nervous, is it going to be a 10% now? I, you know, I don't really know, but I'll be in buying staples, utilities, and, um, and pharma healthcare irrespective. My sense is I, I probably got all the most of the opportunity I'm going to get in the last two days. And then starting next week, it'll start to get away from me, which will be good. That means we're, we're making money on those. Um, now, J, J, this article was from JP Morgan earlier in the week, uh, still thinks that the S&P can rally another 12%. This was before we corrected uh, this year as consumer spending explodes for these seven reasons. I agree with this. My, my base case since the beginning of the year is still the same, which is um, mid-teens year for the S&P 500. Uh, so, you know, it's just a question of the glide path. And uh, they're target is 4400 implying a 12 percent leap through the year i i'm i'm right in that range i like that call uh and there's seven reasons are swift reopening so what's the risk with the reopening the risk is uh and the risk to the market are basically two things that everyone's looking at and one major thing that no one's looking at which we're gonna get to uh the things that everyone's looking for is a variant that uh, knocks things off course that the that the vaccine doesn't address and then they got to spend eight weeks to get the variant vaccine done very low probability but that's a possibility um second thing is if the stimulus package winds up coming in much less than 1.9 tr trillion uh, possible not probable i think they can jam even though it's a little tricky i think they're going to jam it through reconciliation and that's going to get done um also okay so that's number one the swift reopening the stimulus is number two so they think that's going to be 1.9 trillion from their lips to god's ears even if it's a trillion it's more it's it's a lot of money it's plenty we've got plenty in the system but nonetheless it's going to be big uh pent-up savings u.s households are sitting on a record record cash reserves with savings totaling about 11 trillion dollars according to the bank the unwinding of such funds can revive small businesses to and spur new hiring agree uh, ballooning wealth markets held through the pandemic can further boost Americans wealth. Uh, JP Morgan estimates rising values across home equity pensions and 401k plans will add up to $48 trillion in total net worth. The wealth effect, that's a good thing. And Americans will also be coming out of the pandemic with robust balance sheets. The uh, debt service ratio sits at a four decade low. We've covered that in recent weeks. And delinquency rates for consumer loans are at historically low levels. Uh, six, improved job 
market, a falling unemployment rate, growing average work week, and possibly higher minimum wage will all contribute to a healthier labor market. And finally, and this is a big one actually, millennial bump, a record 5 million millennials will reach the inflection point of seeking home ownership. According to the team, increased spending from this group will shift more savings into the economy. So that's that. And then um, Deutsche Bank put out a note that uh, a new wave of fearless retail investors could be ready to pour $170 billion into stocks, says Deutsche Bank. This is from Barbara Kohlmeyer over at MarketWatch. And, uh, quote, with potential direct stimulus payments of $465 billion being planned, this could represent a sizable inflow into equities, $170 billion, said Deutsche Bank strategist Parag That. Srinil Jalagani and Binky Chada. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I I guess people are trying to front run them on GameStop. (laughs) That was pretty crazy this week to see the second coming rising from the ashes. But nonetheless, maybe that's exactly what was going on, front running the the stimulus checks. All right, so moving right along. Now, uh, so this is the S&P. So here's the big thing that I've been teasing. So this week, the U.S. intelligence declassified the report uh, tying um, tying uh, King Salman to uh, Khashoggi's killing. Okay, that took place on October 2nd of 2018. I'm sorry, crown, tying Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman to Khashoggi's death. So they declassified this report where they basically say, and here's the report, you can see it at CNN.com. Um, the link was actually taken down at the intelligence agency, but CNN still has it up here. And it's from February 11th. They declassified it yesterday. Uh I think it's actually no coincidence that we've seen the volatility in the last 48 hours since they declassified this and made it public. Why do I say that? Um, Okay, so two things. Um, In... So these are two words you do not want to hear in the next week. This would cause me to change my view from a 3 to 4% correction to a 10% correction. The two words you don't want to hear thrown around this week are Magnitsky Act. The Magnitsky Act is basically what that means is there's a threat that the U.S. government would freeze Saudi assets as retribution for the Khashoggi killing. And why are we worried about that? Is because we saw this happen multiple times during the Trump administration. So it's no coincidence that on October 2nd, 2018, uh, a headline came out at 10.32 a.m. on Reuters that said, uh, fiance of Saudi commentator Jamal Khashoggi denies Saudi official comments that he left the consulate, okay? So what happened when that headline hit at 10.32 a.m. where um, the Saudi government said he did leave the consulate and then she goes, no, he didn't, and that's allegedly where he was killed. I haven't read the report. They probably say that that is where he was killed. Um, What happened to the hour... 
Uh, oil prices started to slide that day, which, by the way, we've seen oil slide in the last 24 hours as well. And and the implication of that headline on October 2nd, 2018, was that the Saudi crown prince was implicated. So the bond market got hit, and um, and then stocks topped literally a couple hours after the headline. It was the top for stocks. It was the the top for oil prices. So what was happening at that point was that Congress started jawboning about implementing the Magnitsky Act, which would freeze the Saudi assets. So what would any rational person do is given the amount of wealth that Saudi Arabia has in the U.S. capital markets, which is, by the way, about a half a trillion dollars, is that... um, they were trying to get assets out before Congress potentially would move ahead with uh, freezing assets. The, the Saudis feared that the, the, there would be sanctions and they're selling the U.S. assets to get them out. And the longer it goes on where the government was posturing that it's we should freeze the assets in retribution, the, the longer the correction uh, persist. So let, let's just look to the date so you can see it visually on this. This literally is October 2nd. This was the high in the market uh, right here. October 2nd, you get the headline and you see massive selling in the U.S. stock market. Okay. And then so that persisted for uh, two, three weeks as um, you had all the grandstanding on Congress, freeze their assets, sa- sanctions on the Saudis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it started to blow over because uh, President Trump was uh, not really inclined to move in that direction and uh, said so in, in so many words. And then this second devastating sell-off in December was fully attributable to Chair Powell uh raising rates too quickly and nearly throwing us off the cliff he learned his lesson hard and he's never made the same mistake since he's just gone absolutely in the right direction since and saved us from a great depression in march so um so that was that but this was a meaningful sell-off uh once people started talking about remember these words hopefully we don't hear them moving forward which is the magnitsky act if there start to be rumblings about freezing Saudi assets, you're going to see them dump hundreds of billions of dollars of assets. Now, uh, it, it can be absorbed and it will be absorbed, but they are major holders of tech stocks. Okay, so uh, FANG, which is why even if we get the bounce in treasuries and yields compress in the short term, I'm more inclined to be in staples, utilities, and big pharma and maybe some health insurers, but but effectively big pharma. And um, so, so the timing of this sell-off here is uncanny because look at this top. This top right here, February 11th, 2021. Now look at the report, the declassification, February 11th, 2021. And what's been hit? Apple, Facebook, FANG. Okay, is effectively it. And that's what they own. And uh, so now that's the bad news. The good news is that U.S. says Saudi Crown Prince approved Khashoggi killing, imposes visa restrictions on 76 Saudis. 
Uh, this is CNBC. Now, if that is the symbolic gesture and the punishment that they are going, uh, that this administration is going to impose, then we should be fine and it should be a three to four percent bounce and that should be it. Now, based on President Biden speaking with King, King Salman, the crown prince's dad, this week versus the crown prince, um, it leads me to believe that there are adults in the room, they'll come to some amicable um, agreement, uh, and if there are um, assurances that there won't be frozen assets, there'll be other hard sanctions in retribution for the journalist being killed, then um, this should all be in the rearview mirror and the weakness that we've seen in tech since, you know, and, and other stocks and in the stock market, this will be the three to 4% bounce and we move on. But this is actually um, a risk factor now that few people are looking at that I think either the past administration will pass on uh, or, or people in the treasury department will pass on or at the Fed will pass on because they dealt with this. And they not only dealt with it on October 2nd, uh, 2018, right here at the top, all the way through November 1st, when the market sold off, you know, 15% in a few weeks, uh, literally to the day of the headline, literally to that February um, 11th declassification, and then the public de public um, distribution yesterday and today, and that's why we've seen all this volatility. Uh, but they also dealt with it. So let's see. I wrote some notes on this when it was happening in October. And uh, da, 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 da. okay, so it's 500 billion. So that's what Saudi's liquidations in an effort to secure assets is dangerous for the stock market. The stock declines of this year have everything to do with Saudi capital flows and less to do uh, with all the hand wringing issues you hear and read in financial media. When the Saudis fear sanctions, they sell U.S. assets to get them out. And the longer this goes on, the more they'll sell, as we saw this week, as we saw in October of 2018. And we also saw this um, with the purge, if you remember. So uh, in November of 2017... If you remember, Saudi Crown Prince MBS ordered the arrest of many of the most powerful Saudi princes. If you remember, he put them up, I think, in the Saudi Ritz-Carlton or something like that for a month. And uh, country ministers, so he, he arrested all these people, the Saudi princes, the country ministers, and business people on corruption charges. He locked them up in this uh, five-star hotel. And more than $100 billion of assets were claimed to be under investigation. A third were frozen in what was called the Saudi purge. The, uh, these subjects were detained for nearly three months. And the timing of their release and the market correction of January of 2018. So remember, they were arrested in November. They were held for three months. And they were released on Saturday, January 27th. Now look at the stock market. The day they got out, the next Monday, that was the top, January 27th. They get out and boom, a heat, another 15% correction, dumping everything they can get their hands on to raise cash. So 
this is these are not coincidences and that's why i'm saying this is what would change my mind now if it's rearview mirror and president biden spoke with king salman and he said look i'm not going to freeze your assets but we have to take sanctions we have material information that there was involvement we've declassified it it's you know it's unfortunately an embarrassment for you it's a it's a tragedy for america uh and you know we have to do x y and z to make it right then it'll be fine we'll just balance but if if they go into this or you get con congressional grandstanders that didn't learn their lesson in October of 2018 or in January of uh, 2018, the last two times that wealthy Saudis and uh, feared asset freezes and they sold everything that wasn't nailed down, then it's more likely we would get that full 10 to 15% because they're gonna be dumping everything under the sun. I think that this is like a slow motion car wreck, meaning it's been so telegraphed and probably uh, back channeled that it won't be the same. It won't be the surprise that it was in October of 2018 or in January of 2018. But we have to keep our eye open for this. And it is something that no one's talking about. And I do think it has everything to do with, with the volatility we've seen this week, more so than rates rising 50% in the last seven weeks uh, or 170% in the last 77 months, because We've known that's happening, it's been happening, and it wasn't surprising to anyone. Although maybe the last seven days was a little bit abrupt, so it was all part of it. But for all we know, they could have been selling off treasuries to raise cash ahead of the expected declassification. So uh, anyway, it's, it's an edge that no one's focused on, that we can be focused on. Now, how would that change anything that I'm doing? It wouldn't change anything. I mean, these, these uh, staples, utilities and uh, big pharma that we picked up hand over fist while they were throwing a clearance sale this week you know they can sell them down more i'll be a buyer i'll be happy to buy it but um those are not the areas that would be most hit uh i think the number one stock that i've been telling everyone in the last few um podcasts to watch is apple because apple if you recall, uh, you know, reported perfect earnings and it's been down basically every day since and closed week today too, even after it bounced in the morning. So uh, this is in distribution. Uh, we'll see if this gets a bounce. If treasuries bounce, does Apple bounce with it or does Apple stay weak? We got to keep an eye on that. That's, that's really the key to the market right now in my view. Continue to watch Apple. That's another thing people aren't paying a lot of attention to. Um, certainly more so than potential wholesale selling if Congress goes in a direction of those fearful words, Magnitsky Act, that's going to have impl implications on the stock market because if someone told you they were going to freeze all your assets, you'd be selling everything not nailed down too. You can expect them. The difference is it's one thing to be selling down 20 or 30 million bucks. It's a whole different thing to be selling down a half a billion or a trillion dollars. It's uh, it's night and day, and we, we saw that impact uh, in the market. All right, moving along. Um, Okay, so so that is everything I wanted to say about. And by the way, leaving aside um, what I'm what I'm trying to discuss as it relates to this is 
the impact on the stock market. I'm not saying whether we should or shouldn't do the Magnitsky Act and freeze assets and do all that stuff. I'm just saying what will be the implications if if Congress tries to grandstand or move in that direction. Because part of the reason that this was such a pronounced and long-lasting sell-off in October of 2018, and it went from October all the way through to November, and it just kept cascading, is because every day you would have a new congressperson or senator on TV talking about freezing their assets, you know, uh, sanctions, 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 Magnitsky Act, Magnitsky Act, and uh, it was just relentless. And most people actually do not attribute or, or do not correlate that correction with uh, that. But that's actually what structurally was happening. If you talk to people who saw the flows, uh, that's where it was. And there's a lot of fang owned there. So keep your eye on Apple. And hopefully you don't hear that word Magnitsky Act in the next 72 plus hours um okay more okay this article from u.s news biden on the campaign trail was deeply deeply critical of saudi arabia saying saying he would see that they pay the price and make them in fact the pariah that they are the saudi ruling family and government it oversees has quote very little socially social redeeming value he said the statements represent a clear break from the administration of then-President Donald Trump, who rarely criticized Saudi Arabia and considered the kingdom a key part of his ambitions for the region, namely containing Iran and achieving high-profile peace deals. Um, his son-in-law, Jared, also developed a strong personal relationship with the crown prince. The U.S. may still apply sanctions on Saudi Arabia under the Global Magnitsky Act, the 2016 expansion of the 2012 legislation initially designed to allow the U.S. to punish Russia for the death of former tax advisor Sergei Magnitsky, who exposed widespread theft and fraud before his gruesome death in a Moscow prison. That law affords the president significant flexibility in, extract, in exacting targeted sanctions or other forms of financial and diplomatic punishments for human abusers. Uh, Khashoggi's killing sparked a crisis in 2018 and details slowly leaked about his... Okay, so so that's that. Um, and that article, U.S. News, was Paul Shinkman. Uh, today, U.S. Saudi Crown Prince ordered Khashoggi's murder. Okay, so that's that. Um, hopefully, well, not hope... Well, hopefully from a stock market standpoint, may, maybe you'd say, screw the stock market. Justice has to be served. If we correct 20%, we correct 20%, freeze all their assets. That's fine if that's the direction they go, but then just know what's going to happen with the stock market. Um, but, you know, this visa restrictions hopefully will be, uh, from a stock market standpoint, the bulk of the retribution. Um, maybe they'll be required to do a big... I thought they did a payment to the family, but maybe they'll be required to do a big payment to the family uh, or something along those lines. All right. Uh, in other news, more geopolitical stuff, which we've talked about in the context of defense and aerospace stocks, Syria slash Iran condemn us strike on Iranian backed militias. So we striked Syria last night. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting because Iran has basically stopped flash, um, inspections of their nuclear sites which is not a good thing. I'm sure Israel's not going to like that, which is going to make it harder to get a deal done or easier. It depends on how you view the administration. Uh, but 
the, the point is after four years of relative geopolitical calm, uh, it's off to a bumpy start in the sense of, you know, tension now immediately with Saudi Iran by releasing uh, Saudi Arabia by releasing this report. And keep in mind, with us shutting down production, OPEC gets to name their price. And uh, as we promised last year, um, uh, based on all the production that was shut down and uh, earlier this year when they stopped um, drilling on federal lands and shut down pipelines that we'd see three and four dollars at the pump. Well, we saw it this week. Gas surges above three dollars in these states as oil prices jump. Now, moving forward, since we're not going to be the key producer anymore and within 12 to 24 months, we're actually going to be importing oil from the Middle East. They will have p power over us uh, and be able to name their price. OPEC will become strongly relevant again. And um, starting on this foot, knowing that we're going to need them for oil since we're shutting down our own ability to produce um, is uh, is risky. And that's when, you know, military historically, a lot of military uh, engagement has has been related to oil and U.S. interests in the Middle East um, if we don't have our own production at full tilt. So anyway, it's 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 uh, it's another risk. So moving along, um, this is Iran limits access to nuclear sites, but open to talks with the U.S. So they want money and we'll see. Maybe they'll just give them the money. And, um, you know, that's uh that would be unfortunate, but it's just a difference of style. Um, okay, so this is uh, bespoke a second group of performance metrics. This is month to date versus year to date. Year to date, we've covered again. You know, staples, healthcare, and utilities were the three underperformers, and that's where we want to buy. If you followed me for more than you know a week, you know I don't buy up. I buy weakness. I sell strength. I buy what no one wants. I sell it when everyone wants it. And um, it's just a difference of style. Some people like to buy when everyone wants it and hope there will be more people that want it after them. And that works for some people, particularly retail traders that are trading smaller amounts of money uh, that, that can be very, very nimble. Uh, that that can work very well for but but what we do here is we buy weakness we sell strength um, okay the skew index this is basically the covering this we've covered this many times but it's still elevated here and how to think about this is very simple um, the primary difference between the VIX with and the skew is that the VIX is based upon implied volatility around at the money strike price, while the skew considers implied volatility of out of the money strike prices. So, so effectively, people betting on two standard deviation events or black swans is, so in other words, this is elevated now to 148 and now it's coming down meaning a lot of people are taking out tail risk insurance expecting potential black swan events. Historically, when that starts, about a month later, you get a correction, which we've covered. About a month later, you get a correction. About a month later, you get a, a meaningful correction. Uh, there, is, there are exceptions, and the exception, again, points to 
none other than early 2017, right after the election. So you got the elevation, and as you came down, you got this sideways chop for a few months, which we've been talking about and expecting, and then multiple 3 to 4% corrections, and it burned right through, and people kept buying this, this risk, and, and they didn't get paid. Um, so although the odds favor a more meaningful correction when you get elevated to uh, what, around 150, and then a month out you get a correction, it doesn't guarantee it, and I think we are in unique times in that we may may burn through it here. But that, a lot of that, I think, now is going to really be determined on uh, whether the issues with the Saudis and their half a trillion dollars in our U.S. capital markets are resolved and we're committed to not freezing them. Because if we start posturing that we're going to freeze them, uh, it's, you know, all bets are off. Uh, and that's a new development that has to be considered. I'm of the opinion, I think, oh gosh, I, I, I'm trusting that politicians are going to do the intelligent thing, but that, that's, uh, that, that might be a mistake. But um, I think we've had two looks at what it looks like to fumble the ball. And if they want another one of these and another one of these, then, you know, by all means, go for it. Have at it. But it's not in anyone's interest, particularly when we've spent trillions of dollars of stimulus and monetary policy to hold the economy together. Now's not the time to play games about something like this. Get the growth to 6%, get back to full employment and make them pay back later. Um, you know, show a little self-restraint in the short term and and uh, collect collect the bill due in the intermediate to long term when, when we're on more solid f footing. Okay, Pfizer and BioNTech studying third COVID-19 vaccine dose to fight new strains. So they're already, you know, uh, trying to get ahead of the curve on that. Moderna, the CEO was on saying he can basically change his thing in eight weeks and fix it, but then you got to ramp up the production. So it's, it's a complicated thing. My bet is that uh, these new strains pro will probably get closer to herd immunity before they become meaningful, but that's that's an embedded risk in the market. I think it's a low probability risk, but it's something to consider. All right, on to the TikTok hit it, get it stock market and sentiment results. This one we had a lot of fun with. Uh, the good news is we've covered a lot of the substance in the article, so we're going to be able to, to wind down in the next uh, handful of minutes. But um, so this, this young guy on TikTok getting excited about the J&J &J vaccine, which by the way, was approved for emergency use after the close today. So that now we've got a third vaccine, a single shot vaccine with uh, relatively good um, efficacy. I, if I'm, this is purely from memory, but I think it was at 75%. You, you can just Google it, but that's good news. And he did it to this song. Um, maybe I can play it a little bit here and you can. So that's that's entirely uh, too much fun for a stock market article. But leaving that aside, the point was that this is the hit it, get it stock market. So, uh, you know, like I said, you know that I like to buy when a group or company is out of favor and sell it when everyone's clamoring for it. We did it with banks and energy uh, in recent months. And while the market was hitting it, 
Okay, these are the red arrows here. You see Wells Fargo. We were getting it and building our position. Um, same thing with announce uh, was up as much as 90% off the lows uh, this week. Now it's probably back to, uh, up to 87%, whatever. Uh, Exxon, same thing. The market was hitting it, hitting it for you know six months. Us were getting it, getting it, getting it. And now it's up 90% off the lows. Same thing with defense and aerospace. The market was hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. We were getting it, getting it, getting it. Uh, this is a triple levered ETF called uh, DFEN. It's just a leveraged version of ITA or XAR. It's a compilation of the biggest uh, defense and aerospace names like the Northrop Grumman's, Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, Raytheon Technologies, Boeing, etc. We love this group. It's still cheap as heck. Uh, and speaking of which, we got a ask me anything question from Israel from Nir, uh, Nir Gal. Thank you so much for emailing me. His question was, or her question, his, his question. Uh, hello and thanks for uh, thanks for all the knowledgeable insights you provide all the way to Israel, which is really cool. I appreciate, I really appreciate the education you provide weekly. I may owe you, smiley face. My question is about leveraged ETFs such as DFEN that you talked about last week. You said, quote, you need to know what you're doing to play with those. Can you expand on the tactics and strategies, please? I thought I can have the same exposure while setting money aside to pick stocks under the hood, as you say, instead of having X on ITA, which is the defense ETF, VDE, which I guess is Vanguard's energy ETF, and VFH, which I guess is their financial ETF, have 0.3 times or 30% on a leveraged ETF and some money to buy individual stocks. Thank you, sir. Um, okay, so here's the thing. With leveraged ETFs, they can break and they can just shut them off and you can um and you can get you know you can they can just take your money they can just shut it down with like a regular ETF they have to give you the underlying stock if they're going to shut down the ETF so that's the risk the good news is they're not incentivized to do that because the fees on leveraged ETF are really juicy so um, the point is that the more AUM is in the ETF, the lower probability of it getting shut down because the fees are so thick. So, um, so it's just something that you need to be aware of, uh, even though it's a one tenth of 1% probability, it's a possibility because it's, it's, they get the three times, um, leverage through derivatives. So they're not going to distribute out the options if they shut down the fund. Uh, so it's something you have to keep in mind and, and it's a risk. So you have you have to in your mind say, let's let's say it's a 10% exposure, which is you know effectively notional exposure of 30%, which is really overweight, uh, which is really aggressive. Would you be okay with losing that 10% of your portfolio? That's number one. Number two, you know, if you have a move where the sector goes down 4%, this thing could be down. 12 or 20%. Can you deal with that volatility? So it's not a free, it's not a free lunch. So you, you have to know how you're playing it. And um, we do a lot of single name stuff around it. Um, it's not a first choice, but it, it's an option. And, um, but, you know, again, I'm dealing with accredited investors. I'm dealing with qualified institutions. I'm dealing with my own money. 
And I am comfortable with that volatility and risk as our most sophisticated investors and particularly how we size it and manage the risk and we have other hedges on. Uh, it's, it's, but you know, on a standalone basis, my general sense is for a retail investor, uh, or someone newer, you're, you're better off never using any leverage until you, you generate consistent returns over a long period of time. And you've been through multiple cycles and you know what you're doing. So that's my general thing. This is not advice. This is opinion. Um, you click on terms at the top of the website. Uh, so my view is if you can deal with mass volatility and let's say you're going to put it 3% of your portfolio and you say, okay, if it goes to zero, it's not the end of the world, then yeah, that's a good way to get exposure. And then you could have more in other names. Uh, but just know that, and you got to read the prospectus. I mean, how, how do they distribute it if it's shut down and that kind of thing? Again, this is like less than one tenth of a percent of a possibility, but there are no free lunches. So, you know, if you just look at this move off the bottom, it was up 143% in uh, one, two, three, three, basically two or three months, it was up 143%. So that doesn't come free. Uh, and you saw what it ha what happened uh, um, uh, during the pandemic. You know, the thing lost like 90% of its value. So there's volatility embedded. The key thing is here, I'm making a bet that we are at the beginning of a new business cycle and this is going to slowly chop up over time over the long term and and build it that way. So, uh, uh, short answer is I'd, I'd probably go for new leverage. I'd pick the top five biggest names and just get exposure there, or or the uh, regular ETF with no leverage ITA. Uh, if you're aggressive and you're comfortable with a portion of your portfolio laying on the risk, then you know that it's a free country. You know you can. Oh well, uh, well both countries are free. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We got an email from Israel. All right, moving along. Um, now, so that's what we've done past tense and uh, moving forward, what we're doing now is again, staples, utilities and big pharma. So we named six names on the Liz Clayman um, interview. You should listen to those six names. Uh, they were uh, Dominion on the utilities, Dominion and American Electric Power. On uh, the pharma, we picked up Pfizer this week and uh, Nov Novartis, and then on the uh, staples, soup and cereal, Campbell's soup and Kellogg cereal, and there there are a number of them. And by the way, uh, if you look at cereal consumption, obviously it went off the charts with the pandemic, but there's a case for uh, this persisting based on demographics and, you know, millennials and millennials having kids and the game is back on. I mean, look at this hockey stick in Cheerios. Look at this hockey stick in uh, Kellogg Natural Cereals, Grape Nuts. Uh, so these trends that were in secular decline are now in secular ascent, uh, we believe. And uh, people are liking cereal again. We'll see. Um Okay, so this this is just a re-emphasis on Kellogg. The market was hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. Now we're getting it, getting it, getting it, getting it. Same thing with Novartis. Market's hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. We're getting it, getting it, getting it. See how the theme ties? And then Dominion, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. We're getting it, getting it, getting it, getting it. And that's where we see opportunity. Now, if you're on the podcast, this will cut off in the next minute. Just go to hedgefundtips.com, go to the video cast, fast forward to minute 60. You'll pick up word for word exactly where you left off and get the last five five or so minutes. Um, 
In addition to the soup story or the cereal story we just covered, uh, PNG CEO expects higher demand for cleaning products to outlast pandemic. And he goes through his narrative about that. So those are valuable on top of the underlying thesis, but, but we just spent 45 minutes covering the structural reasons we believe these three groups are going to work in the next um, next few months. So that's that. We covered the thing about free capital from the claim and countdown. We also covered that when rates rise, what groups are hit disproportionately. You can take a look at that in the article. And Okay, defensive groups. The other thing is, you know, energy up 32% year to date. So that's going to continue intermediate term over the next 18 to 24 months. I think short term energy and financials, I mean, look, it can't go up another 90% in the next six weeks on top of it. It's got to take a breather, wipe out the new money that came in too late, and then uh, and then resume higher uh, uh, for, for the new part of the business cycle. This just shows up, shows that... Uh, 